0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector.
1: Before we get into today's episode, I've got three important updates for you. If you want to increase your success with mid-level and major gift fundraising, you need to grab a copy of Rainmaking, The Fundraiser's Guide to Landing Big Gifts. This book is in use by more than 3,000 nonprofits and has helped raise over a quarter of a billion dollars for charitable causes since 2013. As a leader and practitioner in the nonprofit sector, you may also be looking for a guide to help you navigate some of the biggest challenges that you face. That's why in 2019, I brought together 28 key leaders and fundraisers from across our sector to share their insights and help leaders like you avoid making costly mistakes. My newest book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them, is currently in the hands of more than 1,500 nonprofit leaders, helping them to navigate those key challenges. It can help you too. And you can get either of these resources or both of them simply by going out to Amazon today. The third thing that I've got for you is a request. If you enjoy this podcast and the conversations we have, I'd greatly appreciate you going out to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen and doing two things. If you can go out and give us a rating, then write us a brief review, I'd really appreciate it. Those two things help us find other listeners and they help me continue to secure great guests that'll bring valuable content and insights to you. So please take a minute today to go out and give us a rating and a quick review. It'll only take a minute to do. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm here today with my good friend, Brent Hayfley. Brent is the senior vice president of talent development at Dickerson Baker and Associates. Uh, he's uh, passionate about organizational strategy and leadership development and believes very strongly in a client consultant partnership that produces effective collaboration. You know, And, and he models that collabor- collaborative leadership in his approach helping nonprofits to implement effective strategies and tactics in their organizations. But what makes Brent so good at his job is that he's not just a consultant. He's actually lived in your shoes. Uh, you know, Early in Brent's career, he, he was both a development director and an executive director. So he's got that firsthand experience on you know, how to navigate the demands of providing effective leadership and ensure that you know, organizations can reach their strategic and fundraising goals. So uh, we're gonna talk today about leadership. Um, Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, man, I I am so appreciative of you coming on the show. Um, Before we get into our conversation, I would like to just take a few minutes, tell us a little bit more about yourself, tell us a little bit about Dickerson Baker.
0: Sure, well, common question in fundraising is how did you get into fundraising? And and, and, and no one when they're five years old, when they're asked by their kindergarten teacher, what do you wanna be when you grow up, says, I wanna be a fundraiser. So, uh, and that wasn't my story either, I wanted to be a doctor at that time, but, When I graduated from college, I had a a degree in organizational communication, and that was right during the dot com bust. And so no one was hiring me with my degree. What I wanted to do was go into training and development in uh, work at Disney or work at 3M or something like that in their training shop, teaching leadership and developing, developing people. And so when I graduated, they not only were not hiring people with my degree, they were firing everyone that had my degree (laughs) as well. So the market was just like hyper, hyper um, saturated. So I applied in lots of places, got lots and lots of no's, but I did apply at this one little um, rescue mission, Hope Gospel Mission in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I applied for this position called volunteer slash development coordinator, and I thought to myself, I can work with volunteers, and I can see how homeless people need development, (laughs) and so I applied for the job and they brought me in for the interview. I told them what they wanted to hear. They told me what I wanted to hear. Uh, They did not offer me a job description during the interview process. Uh, I got the job. They said, congratulations, here's your desk. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention, you need to raise $250,000 by the end of the year. (laughs) And that, my friend, is how I got into development. So I worked my way in to become Stewardship Director at uh, Hope Gospel Mission in charge of fundraising volunteer programs and public relations. Then I left, became Executive Director of a free medical clinic. And then I started my own consulting practice, New Day Nonprofit Solutions. I sold that to Dickerson Baker in 2016 and I've been with them since then. Um, In my current role, I work as senior vice president of talent development. I uh, serve as the consulting team leader, and I work as a coach and as a um, supporter and a cheerleader and and an advisor to our consultants. Um, We've got really talented people. It's really humbling to be in that role because Frankly, they're all smarter than I am, so it's 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 a really cool opportunity to pour into some really talented, fun people at Dickerson Baker. Dickerson Baker is a uh, na- nationwide consulting firm. We focus uh, primarily on a really high capacity fundraising, in the areas of major gift programs, capital campaigns, and uh, grants and institutional giving. But we have a bunch of other auxiliary services that also support things like um, donor research. Uh, we both we do both quantitative and qualitative uh, donor research, uh, impact messaging. So we will design uh, materials for high capacity um, organizations. And we're, we also do some mid-level fundraising. So there's a, there's a wide range of things that we're, we're engaged with there.
1: Yeah, you know, the the Dickerson Baker team, you guys are some of my favorite people. I mean, we've been working together now, probably the better part of a decade right and uh we had both derek and and paul uh, from your team on the show a couple of months ago talking about covid and how it's impacting high capacity donors so um just you know love the work you guys do love you guys thank you um yeah absolutely um so we're gonna talk about
0: i love the company too so i (laughs) i'm glad that you like it
1: we'll make sure that derek hears that part (laughs) Um, you know, we're going to talk about leadership today, but but that's a broad topic. So really what yeah. I want to hone in on is is your area of specialty, that that talent development piece, and yes, sir. how that impacts um, organizations. Mm-hmm. so the the first question I want to know is, how does the quality of the talent in an organization impact its capacity for growth?
0: Sure. well, uh, Dickerson Baker's been a comp- has been in operation for over thirty five years. And we started as a capital campaign fundraising firm and grew our fundraising program to add major gifts and other things. But one of the things that we've observed over our over our years in business is that we could present these cutting edge, really effective fundraising plans and strategies, and then they would not succeed. And we started to study that and say, why, why aren't we, why aren't we succeeding in this? And what we realized is that to get the maximum impact in a nonprofit, it really requires an equation. You know, success in a nonprofit is an equation thing. It requires talented people with abundant resources and effective strategy. So you can have great strategy and you can have, um, you can have great fundraising plans, but if you don't have the people to implement it, you're dead in the water it's just the challenge right there and so um an example of that 13 years ago uh pastor donovan coley i don't know if you know him over at fort wayne rescue mission uh I do. he came he came to the rescue mission there and the rescue mission was an organization that two two and a half million dollar operation a year um, limping along dysfunctional culture uh, tepid fundraising results just you know, the, the questionable results on, on, as far as their impact to the community. And Donovan came in and Donovan uh, came in with a real estate background, which say, well, why would this guy be a CEO? Why would he be, but he came in with this background and he, um, had a pastor, pastor degree in a real estate background. And he, he came in and his talents, his passions, his energy, uh, in that brought life into that mission. And it transformed the organization in mighty, mighty ways. And so now they are um, eight, nine, $10 million a year operation. They just finished a $23 million capital campaign for a brand new building. And one of the things that when Donovan came in, one of the things that talent does is talents attract talent and so when you get someone that's really talented people were attracted to go work with donovan because he's a rock star he's fabulous and so that led to the exponential growth that was there and so when you invest in talent and not just like hire talent but you take good care of that talent you're going to reap really big results
1: so a couple things on that um First of all, I I agree with you. Donovan is fairly amazing. I had the opportunity to interview him actually with Sean Saunders from your team a couple of years ago and was blown away uh, by the conversation. He's one of my heroes. I love that man. so much. It it was great. Donovan, Um, if you're listening, I love you, dude. (laughs) um, You live this, I've lived it. Every consultant that we know probably has had this experience. And so many of the listeners that are in the seats as, as fundraisers have probably lived it as well. You know, When you know that talent attracts talent, when you know that it takes big thinking, strategic, well-aligned, talented teams to be successful, but you're looking at a budget line and you're saying, well, wait a minute, I only have X dollars to invest. I Mm -hmm. can't go get somebody like that. True
0: or myth? I think it's a myth. I think it's absolutely a myth. There's a lot of people in the world that are extremely talented that hate their jobs. they're paid really well and they hate their jobs. And so reaching out to find either existing talent that is proven talent in a position that hates their job but wants to go to something that's really attractive and they say, "Oh, wait. I get green pasture over there. I, you're going to respect me. You're going to treat me well. You're going to give me discretion. You're you're going to there's a culture where uh, one of the things I love about Dickerson Baker is, is our team. There's not a lot of ego in our company. We've got incredibly talented people who are really humble. They'll clear your plates at the dinner table. You know, they'll, they'll pick up your bags and, and walk it to your room. If you're staying at their house, that's the kind of people that I get to work with. And that culture is so attractive. It's so, um, alluring that frankly, we've had people who have taken pay cuts to come work at our firm. And I know that in the fundraising world, the nonprofit world that happens as well. So if you have that culture, if you have that uh, that culture where uh, it, it's of mutual respect, uh, where it is uh, really talented people, where there's there's humility within the firm, and I think humility is one of the under, um, under-emphasized, under-valued um, uh, words in leadership, but a humble, vulnerable culture, it, it can be a big deal. And then when you pair that with vision, to accomplish something great it's very hard to say no to something like that even if you don't have the financials to make that pull or pull that off and it's the good to great concept you know the jim collins get the right people on the bus and then say hey let's let's go find what we got to do
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense so um you know one of the other things that i see organizations often challenged by is they don't really know how to assess a candidate's skill and fit in the interview process Mm -hmm. right so how do we help hiring managers and, and leaders in organizations get better at that and and what is your firm doing to approach that kind of you know are, are you building assessments or do you have rubrics that you use what sure. what tools do you use to help organizations get better at
0: that? well before we get to the assessment let's let's step back let's take a step sure. back first because i like i like to stack the deck and so what do I mean by stacking the deck? It means uh, working your referral networks really hard. Mm. And so, Andrew, if you were to say to me, you know, if we're hiring someone and, and you were to say, you know what, I really think you should seriously consider that person, because I respect you, I'm gonna take that recommendation very seriously. And, I, and, and when we do searches, uh, you know, I, I already have a candidate pool for the next consultant. Um, we haven't decided who the next consultant is, but I've got a pool of 15, 20 people that that I'm watching and and connecting with, and they know that I, that we're interested for whenever the, that next hire is gonna be. And so reaching out, getting to know, and being proactive about those positions. And so uh, to translate that into the nonprofit world, if you're looking for your ma- next major gift officer, you, prob- you, know, you know you're gonna need one in two years, why not start looking now? <laughs> start casually you know searching for that that right person right now uh if you know that you have a rock star program officer or a rock star ceo doesn't it make sense to have a really good succession plan and have some backup plans so that you're not caught surprised so that that's that first step the second thing is is dave ramsey says uh in entree leadership he talks about hiring slow and firing fast (laughs) and and i think too many organizations are too quick to hire people they're like oh we're going to get this done in an hour and a half and we're going to give you a six figure you know six figure income or you know we're going to pay eighty thousand dollars or whatever that happens to be and you're in and uh, we interview slowly i i am a big proponent of interviewing slowly multiple interviews multiple steps interactions with multiple people uh, lots of opportunities to really get to know that person, not just for qualifications, but also for fit, because you can have the right person who can do the job really well. But if you can't stand them or if their style grates on the rest of your team, it's not going to be a good hire, even if you got really a rock star there. Um, the third thing is, is to test. And and I don't, I'm surprised how few organizations invest in testing their their candidates. So, you know, we, we, you know, part of the, part of the values that we need, we need people with good writing skills. So it's not just that we ask them for writing samples, but when we're in the hiring process, we'll actually put them in a room and say, here's some information, write a donor letter in the next 60 minutes. We know they can't, get gra- they can't go check, their you know, have, the, have it set by an editor or something like that so we can understand their grammar skills, we can understand how they structure language, we can understand how fast they work, we can understand a bunch of things from reading that one letter. And oh, by the way, uh, the donor gave you a gift, would you please write a handwritten thank you for them as well? So we can see what their handwriting is and we can see how well they do that and what they put into that letter. Is it natural? Does it flow well? Or is it really awkward? And that's going to give us a lot of information. A good donor officer should be able to do that with their eyes closed. You know, that that's just run. You know, if if they say, oh yeah, I'm really good at analytics. Okay, great. Here's a set of donor data. Analyze it. Tell us what it means. Prove it and, and, and show us in a pivot table, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) Mr. or Mrs. Excel genius, you know, show us role playing. You know, it's fascinating that I, I had a candidate, um, a while back, uh, this was a young guy and, uh, oh, this guy's amazing. And he's really talented and he's so fantastic. And so I asked him to ask me for $150,000 and the ask was horrible. <laughs> it was terrible. And it was right there. I was like, no, this guy's not qualified. And, and he's this person that, oh my goodness, I would love to hire this guy in five years. Mm. after he's gone out into the field and actually did something. So I think that's, that's that part. The last thing, and this is where, um, I'm a Clifton certified or a Gallup certified Clifton strengths coach. Okay, And we use, uh, Clifton strengths as part of the interviewing process, carefully use it. It is not a validated instrument. So, uh, what that means is that you can't use it to, um, Uh, you got to be real careful as to how you use it in the hiring process. After the hiring process, do anything you want with it, but before the hiring process...
1: It's not something that you use to qualify or disqualify candidates, right? Correct. Okay.
0: Correct. So here's how we use it. After we have verified that this candidate is qualified and we're getting down to our last like two or three candidates, and we need to really figure out um, the fit. And one of the things that's really important for us is understanding, is this person self-aware? And we get that from some of the questions that we ask in the interview process, but we want to know more. We want to go deeper. So doing the Clifton strengths and getting that full 34 report is really valuable because it allows us to, uh, number one, see what their strengths or talents are as, as, as far as Gallup sees it. But in addition to that, it allows us then to have a really strategic conversation with them. So tell us, where did this, where did it fit? Where did it not fit when we looked at the report? Oh, this isn't a fit for me. Why? Can you give me an example of why, uh, of, of when you, you use this talent or that talent or this strength or that strength. And those are the types of things that can really make us understand the candidate really well. What makes them tick? What motivates them? How do they think? How, um, you know, they think when they're, when they're confronted with a situation, how do they approach it? So it gives us the ability to ask questions that wouldn't normally show up on the interview form.
1: Okay. So let's take that one step further. When you place a candidate, mm-hmm. they get into an organization, say they, they joined a development team that, that you were doing a search for. Yep. How does that team leader use something like lift and strengths to, to continue the process of coaching and development? Like what, what's that process look like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh,
0: I'm actually doing that with one of my clients right now. When you get me as their consultant, we're going to do we're going to do strengths. I I just it's part of my DNA, so I can't not do it. Um, So we're doing that with one of one of our clients. And one of the things that's interesting is is that teams that receive strengths feedback are 8.9 percent more profitable.
1: Say that again. Teams that receive strengths feedback. Feedback. So okay. teams
0: that regularly receive strengths feedback from their supervisor huh. are eight point nine or have um, demonstrate eight point nine percent greater pro- profitability over teams that do not, and that's Gallup research. Gallup's been researching this for over forty years. This whole mm-hmm. methodology, and um, so they 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 actually studied sales teams in the for profit realm, and they were able to find that all right, those that are taking strengths seriously are seriously more profitable. It's a big deal. The same, the same thing is, is that um, those same teams, if they're investing in that, they're 7.8% more productive. <laughs> Productivity goes up. And so there's a, there's a concept within uh, Clifton Strengths called name it, claim it, aim it. And name it is all about uh, understanding what the strength of the talent is. And then claim it is saying, oh, that's me. I, I got that. And then aim it is here's how I can use it. Now your question specifically was how can a leader actually integrate it or use it? Um, my, my first recommendation is to go and take it yourself. And so go out and um, take the, and I, I recommend the full 34 assessment, but go take the full 34, go to gallup.com, or you can reach out to Dickerson Baker, either one, we can, we can get it for you, or you can go uh, get it through Gallup. Um, but take the full 34 assessment and there's thir- Clifton Strengths has 34 different unique talents that they, it's kind of like a talent DNA that it creates for you. It'll come back with a report and the report is really cool. It, it puts all 34 of your talents in order. And, uh, just to give you a sense of, um, how unique this actually is, you know, when you take, when you take disc, you know, or, well, I'm an I with a backup D well, right. how many other eyes with a backup D are in the room, you know, well, oh, and there's, there's really only a few options. The, the likelihood of two people having the same top five strengths is one in 33 million.
1: I was going to say, I've taken it three or four times and I've never been in a room Where anybody had the same five,
0: the possibility of having um, two people that have um, one in thirty, all thirty-four in the same order, two people having the same all in the same order, is actually two hundred. Take the number two hundred fifty-nine and put thirty-six zeros behind it. I don't even know what number that is. I don't know
1: how to say that, but that's a lot. It's more
0: than has ever been created. And frankly, I, I'm, a, um, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Uh, and, and so I look at strengths. I, I certainly can do strengths coaching from a secular perspective, but I also do it from a Christian perspective. And I believe that um, God has all 34 strengths. So it, his, his report is not one through 34 in order from top to bottom. His report is actually horizontal, and it's just one all the way across. And he's got them all in spades and he uses them all perfectly. And so when, when we're looking at this, um, this is your talent DNA, when you're looking at your strengths report. And so that, that understanding that the second recommendation I would give is reading it's the manager by uh, Jim Clifton and Jim Harder. It was published in 2019 by Gallup. And uh, it's the manager is a fantastic book. And, and I like it, especially because it has um, three-page chapters. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> They're bite-sized chapters. And you can go to any spot in the book and start right there and read. And, and so it's really helpful for managers in understanding, here's how you implement this. Here's how you go from boss to coach. Hmm here's how you go from uh, here's how you think about um, strategy or culture Um, here's how you deal with um, you know diversity equity and inclusion inclusiveness with strengths how do you infuse those together um and, and so it's got a lot of really really practical tips and and things that you can think of as a manager to be more effective and we've got this problem in the fundraising world where fundraisers are cycling through organizations every 18 to 24 months well, if you want to keep them longer, if you want to increase your retention, this is a great way to do it. So after you've done your own assessment and then you've read the book, then the next step is to get your team assessed. Have the whole team assessed. Put it up on a on a chart. I'd, I'd encourage you to get some coaching. Uh, whether you work with with me at Dickerson Baker or you work with you know a different other uh, a different Clifton Strengths coach, um, get some coaching to really get to understand it well. And then you can start pouring into your team and helping them.
1: Have you found that there are specific strengths that translate to higher levels of effectiveness as a fundraiser or a development leader? No. Okay. <laughs>
0: say more about <laughs> I, that. I, I, think it's, I think the question is in somewhat antithetical to the way Gallup thinks about strengths. Okay. So Gallup thinks about strengths that they, they say that talents are neutral. Means that one is not better than the other. It's how we apply them. Okay. It's it's how we use them. And I want to pick on you for just a second here, uh, because um, your top five talents are achiever, which is an executing strength, uh, activator, which is a strategic thinking strength, uh, focus and learner, input focus and learner. And what we have here is we have two executing strengths, two uh, strategic thinking strengths, and a influencing strength. And strengths are actually broke down or talents are broke down into four domains, executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. Now, as a fundraiser, one of the biggest themes within fundraising out there is relationship building, isn't it? Oh, it's sure. all about the relationship. Fundraising, relationship, relationship, relationship. Right. <laughs> Andrew, you don't have relationship in your top five, man, you must really suck. I, must. I mean, I, I don't know how you, how you can succeed at all and and that's that what i just said is completely bogus uh, and and that's why when we're looking at at talents it is how you apply this and and you and i have been friends for a number of years i know that you have deep relationships with with friends of mine as well and so you apply your talents your relationship talents you you uh, uh, approach relationships in a different way than other people do and so i i i don't know uh you and i haven't done a coaching session before Maybe we should uh, at some point, but, you know, I I would think that your activator is something that helps you with relationships. Hey, let's go do this. That'd be fun. Or your, your, um, achiever would work well. You know, I need to maintain these relationships because it helps me professionally. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to invest in that. Or your focus is really part of that where you, you say, you know, these people are on my list and I'm not going to forget them. Or you look at someone like learner, and that you know, learner is um, learner says people exceptionally talented in learner theme have a great desire to learn and want to continuously improve the process of learning uh, rather than the outcome excites them. And so when you meet people, uh, and I know this is true of you because you and I have had dinner before and I've I've experienced this from you, you want to learn about other people, and so I can see your learner come out. That's that's good yeah. fundraising right there. And so, I don't care what the talent makeup is. The question is, how do they apply that talent makeup?
1: Got it. Okay. That so it's all sense. about
0: the application. And there's lots of different positions within fundraising as well. Major gift officer has different talents than someone with a plan, you know, plan giving versus annual versus you know direct response. Yep. Uh, they all need you know different professional experiences or expertise but their talents can be applied in different ways as far as Gallup is concerned. So ultimately, Gallup is not about putting people in a box, it's about helping people get out of the box.
1: Hmm. Okay, so when you were talking about, uh, a minute ago, doing a team assessment, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about is, once you've done that, do you advocate like, sharing that across the whole team? Is that something that you only, you know, only an employee would share with their supervisor? Like, you know, I think a lot of people, at least with other assessment tools, I've heard a lot of concern around like, well, wait a minute, I don't want that to create a faction in my organization or I don't mm-hmm. want someone to say, oh, well, you don't have this, so you clearly can't come to this meeting or be on this project yep. or task force. Yep. How do we deal with that?
0: Yeah, well, and, and your question is really good because there is, when, when we're looking at, at this, one of the things is that, you know, in our culture, a kid comes home you know, your kid comes home with their report card and they say, Hey, I got, you know, two A's, three B pluses and a C plus. And what do we comment on in our society?
1: Comment on the C plus.
0: Yeah. What's yeah. going on with that? Like what, what, what's there? We're not looking at the A's and saying, Hey, why, how can we get this A to be an A plus, 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 plus. And I, I don't know about you when you're hiring people, but, um, we're not looking for mediocre people. Yeah. You know, for for me, uh, I, I'm never going to be a brilliant quantitative analyst. Just don't ask me to do your. I'm not going to be an actuary. I'm not going to be a statistician. That's never going to be me. You could teach me statistics. I probably could move my C plus to a B minus, and you're still going to be un, un, unimpressed with me. <laughs> and <laughs> you're nodding and saying yes. I would be unimpressed with you. And and so. Um, but the truth is, is that we tend to focus on the weaknesses and say, how can we bring your weaknesses up versus how can we emphasize your strengths? Yeah. When we focus in on weaknesses, what that means is that it, in the, in the effort of making people well-rounded and there's this whole concept that we should be well-rounded, well, the truth is well-rounded people are dull. <laughs> I mean, you, what they do is, is that if you think about instead of uh, where they're weak, we got to bring that out. Um, and where they're strong, we gotta pull that back because we yeah. can't invest in their strength because we're spending so much time investing in their weakness. Huh. When it comes to the team, it's absolutely valuable to, in a very safe way, share the matrix of your whole team and be able to say, all right, well, who has, oh, okay, when, when we, need, we need to communicate something, maybe we should talk to the person with the communication talent and leverage their talent. We mm-hmm. can, we can, we can partner with them or, you know, it probably would be really good to have this person on the team because they're, you know, because they got focus, Andrew, it'd be great to have you on the team for focus because when we give you a task, we know you're not going to let us veer off it. We're going to get it done. And so really looking at, you know, we're, we're going to need, um, we're going to need someone with woo, which stands for winning others over and woos are kind of the golden retriever of, <laughs> of talents. They are everybody's friend. They're like, "Oh, how are you? I love you." They're engaging, they're happy. You want to spend time with people that have woo and spades and um they're just a lot of fun. And so we're looking at this and well we we need to go to the conference and someone's got to sit in the booth. Let's put the person with woo there because they're going to be a rock star. Put me in the booth. I have woo like in my middle pack um it put me in the booth and people come up to me and uh, and by the third one i'm kind of uh <laughs> i'm done I, I i don't it's it's great to talk to you but i want to go somewhere else and so you'll more often at a conference see me up in the hospitality suite working with clients or working with prospective clients going deep because i have a relator and so understanding that kind of helps put people in the right places so that they can be effective. And now
1: I, I have so little woo that I'm the guy that's standing in the booth saying, get off my lawn.
0: So. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm the same way. Get out of my face. I don't care who you are anymore. Like, <laughs> so I'm terrible at that part. And if oh. you understand that, you can be far more effective in your yeah. way. Now, you had said you had asked a question that the, the follow up question that you had asked there was. How do you navigate that so it doesn't create fiction or uh, frac- uh, friction or or having people called out for not having the right thing? And I I actually witnessed an example of shall I say carnage happen. It was really unfortunate where a CEO had called out uh, a member of the team um, because that person didn't have. Uh, a certain certain talent in a certain domain, and I'm not going to go through the details because sure, I don't yeah. want to. I don't no. want to call anyone out. I don't, that, that's not the goal. But that was devastating. Yeah, it it would have been like calling you out in the middle of a meeting and saying you don't have relationship building. Right. Like, h- how do you even have any friends? Like that. That's the type of thing that that it was, and it was deeply damaging. It was deeply hurtful. And frankly, the employee was left within about three months six months somewhere in there and and it was so unfortunate it was just so unfortunate the way that it kind of came together and so we need to be careful and and that's part of what i love about strengths because if you follow it if you if you are really true to it you can uh it's a great way to honor people not to dishonor them so again it's not about putting people in a box it's about helping them get out of the box
1: okay very cool makes sense makes a lot of sense yes thank you so my next question, because I've dealt with this, um, maybe not within the context of Clifton strengths, but just mm-hmm. in overall abilities and and, and talent, is sure. how how does a leader uh, navigate a situation with a person who believes that they have a set of strengths, um, mm-hmm. but no one else in the world observes that? Help us with that.
0: Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it can be a real challenge, and that's um, frankly, if there is an opportunity to have a coach involved, that's helpful. Um, that that can be that can be valuable because that can be a safe space uh, to actually have the conversation and, and and allow some opportunity for some deep reflection and some some deep engagement in a place where there really isn't a lot of risk. To, to do that because it, when you're in coaching, it's confidential, it's um, non-judgmental, it's it's a safe space to, okay. to actually explore some of those challenges. And that's part of the value of being a coach or uh, pursuing coaching. I frequently ask the question when I'm coaching others is when you reviewed your report, what what surprised you? And I usually get one of two responses. I get the response that says, oh, this nailed me perfectly. And I was just surprised at how well it knew me. Uh, that's one response. The other response I get, was, I was really surprised that this was, this certain talent wasn't higher. I expected it to be higher. And so an example is, is pastors with low belief. Does that mean I don't believe in God? I don't believe in this. Like we work with a lot of faith-based people and belief was low. Oh my gosh, how could, no belief is an executing theme and belief is, is a, a theme where, um, people use their belief to get things done. Just does it doesn't have any it's not a judgment of your belief at all, like uh, your belief in your God. It, it's a judgment or it's a assessment of not a judgment, but an assessment of um, how you get things done hmm. and what you use to get things done okay. and the way you get things done. That's that's what it does. And so being able to share and be able to say uh, or, or for me, I, I, there's a lot of people that come to me and they frankly share their stories with me. And they tell me, oh yeah, I was hurt this way or I had, I mean, I, 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 there's lots, I don't know why I'm a safe person to talk to, but actually I do know why, because I have um relator and self-assurance. Those are in my top talents um, and and they create a safe space for people to talk. But empathy is 29 mm. for me. It's near the bottom. Out of 34. Out of 34. Right. Okay. And so does that mean that I can't be empathetic? Does that mean? No, not at all. And so you ask the question, how do you deal with that person? I think one of the first things is really to understand what is that talent in the first place? Oh, you thought you had empathy and it should be higher. Okay, well, let's, let's read what the definition is. Let's read the understandings. And, and we've got a whole bunch of different resources that can, can help understand the, the psychological principle of empathy as Gallup defines it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then the next step is, is all right, well, let's read some of your other talents. And let's say you think you're empathetic, where could your empathy coming, be coming out somewhere else? Where could your learner be confused for empathy? Because you're learning about them, you're listening to them, And people interpret that as empathetic because you're learning about them and people love to be listened to. And a learner does that, or someone with input does that. They, they want to take that stuff in. And so then you start to, the next step is that claim it. And I said the name it, claim it before Mm -hmm. aim it. So you're saying, oh, that's what the definition is now. Yeah, this is how I do it. And now the next step is, is well, how can you use your learner more, Andrew? How can you use your input more to demonstrate empathy in those situations? How can you apply that? And so the, the, the concept, as far as Gallup um, refers to it, is, um, is called leveraging and, and, and leveraging a different theme. And so you use a different talent and you leverage that talent, you put them together or you say, you know what, instead of this one, I'm going to use that one. And that's how you get that done but it takes some self-discovery to figure that out.
1: Yeah, well, and it goes back to what you were saying early on about self-awareness, right? And so it sounds like this is a process that you can use or that, that any leader can use if, if you're following this kind of methodology to, to help increase someone's self-awareness in a way that's meaningful and beneficial to them rather than in a way that kind of you know, smacks them over the head and says you're not good enough, right?
0: Precisely. Okay, that makes Precisely. a lot of sense. Precisely, it, it is a way again to honor and build people up. And you know, I, forty years ago, actually, um, just off of just out of World War II, Don Clifton, who is uh, the Clifton of Clifton Strengths, uh, he was working on his dissertation uh, in in psychology, and he had asked the question. He said, "What what will happen when we think about what is right with people rather than fixing what is wrong with them?" Hmm. And he dedicated his entire career to answering that question, identifying what is right with people. And when you do that, you can you can build them up. You can you you will see a greater level of engagement from them. You will see a level a higher level of retention from them. You will see a higher level of productivity from them. You will see more pleasant they're more pleasant to work with. They are they they lift others up instead of bring them down.
1: Oh. And I wanna I wanna ask you a question about this and and sort of challenge it mm-hmm. with a, a real world example and please let do you, let you help us through it. You know, I, I can imagine there's an executive director sitting at her desk right now saying, Okay, does that mean that I, you know, if I have four people doing the same job, right? So mm-hmm. let's say we got four uh gift officers, right? Yep. Does that mean that they all have to have a completely customized job description and i have to have a a ma- management plan that has you know multiple lanes because that that sounds like a whole lot more work. Yeah. And how yep. can i get everything else done if i'm doing that?
0: No, you have the same same job description for all four. Okay. The job is still the job. The the key is how do they get the job done? Okay. And so uh you may have uh, here's an example there there are certain talents that are um and, and there's official designations that Gallup uses but there's also some designations that I've started at just as a I started to group them so some Brentisms, yeah some Brentisms, it. exactly and so there there are some talents that I believe that are are um are fast talents and there are some talents that are slow talents okay And, um, an example of this is uh, when we're looking at some of the slower, slower talents that, you know, sometimes intellection, they're very reflective. They like to think, they like to, you know, kind of process some of that. Analytical can sometimes be that context can sometimes be that, um, uh, discipline, deliberate deliberative. Deliberative, by the way, is is all about making really careful decisions. They're they're really good on loss prevention. Uh, some of that, <laughs> like, oh wait, that might be a risk. Oh, that might be a, you know, some of that. And so when we're looking at some of these talents, um, some of them speed you up, some of them slow you down. And so we I, I just was uh working with recently with a gift officer who had a bunch of the slower talents in his top 10. And we had, um, there was a, a meeting that he was in with a CEO that was hard, jar- hard charging CEO, and he didn't perform well in that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we looked at that from the lens of Clifton strengths, and we said, all right, so there's really two ways we can operate with this. One is we can try to help you leverage your strengths to be able to get into that hard, hard driving CEO's office again, or we can send the hard driving Fast strengths person to go work with that CEO, and will it'll be a better fit? And that's what we ended up doing: that is we just sense. reassigned the portfolio. And and this one, this is a very effective gift officer, just not in every setting. <laughs> and so, uh, could could the gift officer do it? Yes, absolutely. And and could could ratchet that up to make it happen? Is it the best choice for their team, given that they have other options? No. So we reassigned it, found a different person that was a better personality fit and a better style fit, um, and that is actually not only better for the donor, it's also better for the employee.
1: So let's go one level deeper on that. You know, uh, bring it. it <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> I
0: have self assurance at number four.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you know my time uh, working. On, on the client side in an organization. And we would often, you know, have prospect management meetings and it was, you could see the frustration in the room where people would say, I've been talking to this donor or I've been, I've been trying to get with this mm-hmm. donor and it doesn't work for this reason or that reason. Yep. And, and this was, you know, Probably close to twenty years ago now, so or fifteen. Um, you know, I hadn't been exposed to Clifton Strengths at that point. Nobody in the organization sure. had. There was never a conversation about that level of fit mm-hmm. between donor and gift officer. Is this something that you would recommend organizations do? Is it like a you know annual portfolio review? Do you recommend that they do it in the moment? You know, every every week when they meet. Like, what's the What's the best way to optimize talent and donor audience? Yep.
0: Absolutely. Or strength. So, so first and foremost, it, again, I recommend taking the assessment and doing some coaching. Yeah. And as you get to know yourself better, and as you get to know your team better, when there are challenges, when there are issues, or frankly, when there are victories, you can start to recognize strength patterns. Hmm. Wow. Andrew, you are really good in that setting. Let's find that setting again for you. And, and, and that's, that's where um, Clifton strengths is a, is a real uh, reflective methodology to be able to look at that and say, oh, well, here's an example. And I could really see your uh, activator show up here you got on scene and things just started happening because uh and and an activator is defined as people exceptionally talented in activator theme can make things happen by turning thoughts into action they are often impatient
1: (laughs) yes i am (laughs) and so it's like
0: wow these people really needed to get off they were sitting on their hands for a long time and andrew you walked in the room and all of a sudden like what happened they were moving and and so Being aware of that can be really helpful because you can say, all right, this isn't working right well. Do we need to, do we need to change seats on the bus? Or this is working extremely well. Why is it working well? Oh, it's working well because of this let's, let's, let's find more situations so that it can work really well. And what's cool is, is that when, when a person is working in their hot spot in their they're just going to propel. They're just going to they're going to light up, they're going to be happy, they're going to excel, they're going to they're going to grow. And so when when CEOs or executive directors, as you're listening to this uh, and and you're you're frustrated with the, the revolving door of your major gift officers, maybe one of the solutions is really to figure out what makes them tick and how to how to engage them and honor them in their role provide, you know, the trust and the stability and the, the compassion that they need in that job to be the most effective they can be.
1: That's great. Awesome. Hey, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being here.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
1: If, uh, if someone that's listening wants to learn more about Clifton strengths, talk sure. to you about an assessment mm-hmm. um, or about anything else, um, yeah. how, do pe- how do people reach you?
0: Uh, you can reach me by calling um, uh, you can contact me by seven, uh, calling 715-379-7235. You can also call, um, uh, you can also call Dickerson Baker, uh, at one eight hundred three eight two zero zero nine four. 382 94 So those are two ways. Um, but you can also drop me an email and that's fine too. Brent at DickersonBaker.com. So that's B-R-E-N-T at D-I-C-K-E-R. S O N B A K K E R.com. So, uh, but you can find us on the internet too. So awesome. happy to chat. Thanks again for being really enjoyed. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the rainmaker fundraising podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.